Welcome into episode 36 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio, and today I am happy to be joined once again by Travis Graff and David Sisk of Cats Illustrated. Uh, Travis, what's going on, man? How are you? Nothing excited to hop on here today. We've got a lot to talk about. Absolutely. And David, uh, how, how are you hanging in there? I know you said that uh, you, that you're kind of back into the online school, trying to teach these kids, you know, you know, be all hands on. How's that going? I'm actually at school now. So I'm working between school, between Cats Illustrated stuff and Sources Say. So man, April, I mean, well, I'm going to tell you what, March may have been the busiest month that I've ever had, that I've had in the last five years. I mean, it March just felt like up. a whole year. Yeah. It felt like its own separate year. I had, I, I think once I got done with, you know, with the Minnesota Vanderbilt Kentucky stories on rivals, I think I did like 55, 56 stories and I've, I've never got close to that. I think I got 51 one time in, in the last five years. That's been, that's been it. Well, you know, it, for me personally, it was one of the worst months in the history of my life. But I, I'm glad you guys were able to stay busy. I mean, I was busy too. I, the you know we were we were pumping out good content on over uh, on KSR. Traffic was looking good. We're still holding steady. You know, we're we're all fighting fighting this fight together. Um, as Travis said, there is a lot to talk about, specifically with NBA draft rumblings. Johnny Juzang transferring, who, uh, you know, what are the potential graduate transfer options? Uh, some are actually disappearing by the day. I mean, yesterday, uh, one big name kind of cut Kentucky from his list, kind of, or, you know, UK was never really on his list, but he was rumored to be interested. Whatever, we'll get into all that stuff. But there's a ton of ton of in- interesting stuff going on right now in the world of, of Kentucky basketball and recruiting. So let's jump right in with the biggest news of the last probably week or so with Johnny Juzang's transfer from Kentucky. He originally kind of left the door open, or at least John Calipari left the door open for a return to Kentucky. Cal basically said, we, you know, if, if you decide to change your mind after going through this process, you look at your options, you don't like what you see. It's not what you kind of, you know, what the, the, the transfer portal isn't what you kind of expect it to be. By all means, come back. We'll make that happen. And then he decides to cut his list down to six just four days after putting his name in the portal. And the six schools are, uh, to say they're interesting, it would be an understatement, guys. Um, So Calipari said that when Johnny approached him originally about transferring, that that the whole idea would be to go home, be go get closer to home. I'm homesick. You know, I I just I want to I want to go back to the West Coast. And then he puts out his list and the first three make sense. UCLA, that is home, literally in, in Los Angeles. Arizona is what a you know two three hour drive away, not not a big deal at all. And Oregon, even though it's a, you know it's probably a 10, 10 to twelve hour drive up the, up the west coast, you're still on the west coast. So those three at least made some sort of sense. And then the others, Texas Tech, which is eleven hundred miles ish uh, away from LA. Notre Dame, which is you know four hours from from here. And then Villanova, which is, you know, 39-hour drive, I think I, I did the math on it uh, when, when it first came out. You couldn't have found three worse, you know, non-LA options that, that you could possibly think of. And that's what he came up with. So, 
Um, Travis, what were your initial thoughts on on uh, Juzang's list cut? Well, he had talked about being him and his family had talked about being uh, Johnny being homesick. So we talked about that kind of on the little episode that me and you did uh, last week without David, and both of us knew in the back of our minds that it wasn't a homesick issue. That may have played a part in it, but it also had to do with he had no confidence. He had no playing time guaranteed. He wants to go somewhere where he can showcase that he can do more than just hit standstill jumpers. He wants to showcase his whole game, and he didn't think he could do that at Kentucky. He felt recruited over just like many uh, players at Kentucky felt in the past. I think he is still going to go somewhere on the West Coast, but that list is evident that this wasn't a homesick issue. It was more of a um, I'm looking for playing time, and I just don't think Kentucky and I are a good fit. And I think everybody realized that whenever he, whenever he reclassified to go to come to Kentucky, I thought that that was a pretty bold move on his part because yeah. Kentucky's a factory, and he's net he's never struck me as the type of kid that he's very skilled. He's going to go somewhere and show off a skill set that people didn't see at Kentucky, but he he doesn't fit the type of kid that is um, that fits well at the machine that is Kentucky basketball. Now, David, as far as as Johnny's, um, you know, Johnny and his family, their their approach to this and and their conversation with Calipari. Cal said they approached me and said that they wanted to go to the West Coast, you know, back back home. Do you think it, it's a bad look on his part? Uh, you know, do you think this? If you were in John Calipari's shoes, would you be frustrated with with uh, with the not an excuse, but but the, the, his reasoning for wanting to for wanting to leave? No, because you've got to expect things like this um, and really not be surprised. Do you remember the show we had two weeks ago when we talked about what the Kentucky roster could look like next year if, if, if everybody returned? And, and I said if, if they do, that – Cal Perry has to look for some exits, um, and and that I felt like guys like um, you know Dante Allen, like uh, Johnny Juzang, even freshmen like Cameron Fletcher are just going to have to be patient. You, yeah. you remember us having that conversation? Yeah, definitely. and I think it was like two days after we we talked about that that that's when he announced, and uh, I, I'm not surprised by. I, I think obviously. It was playing time issues. Now, this brings some things into play. Would if it is playing time, and he would have known at that time that Emmanuel Quickly and and uh, you know Ashton Higgins and and everybody else, you know that the whole conversation changed. That it looks like maybe they will go pro, whereas it didn't a couple of weeks ago. Would he have made that move? Yeah. Uh, if, if playing time was the issue, but then you, you've got B, the BJ Boston's and, and, um, uh, Terrence Clark's and all those guys coming in. So that's an issue. Uh, but then the other thing, if he did, if it is a homesick issue, um, you know, I can't look at that list and totally say, it doesn't make sense because, you know, Notre Dame and Villanova and all those teams may be on there for window dressing. You know, he, he may already have his mind made up 
that he wants to go to a, a UCLA or an Arizona or Oregon or somewhere like that. So, uh, and just kind of goes on. So, you know, in, in the end, if he ends up going to Villanova or Notre Dame, then, then we know homesickness wasn't the issue. But I think it's like a lot of this stuff right now that we're going to get into on who stays and who goes and who's going where. We just got to let it play out. But um, w- w- one thing to keep in mind here, uh, you know, being close to home, does does the shoe companies come into into play and all that? So, um, you know, I, I would expect him to stay on the West Coast. Now, Travis, we we talked about this uh, a little bit on, on the side that th- there were some pretty strong rumblings that that the reason why Jaden Mc so Jaden McDaniel's was going to Kentucky for there was like that one to two week span that that he had actually told the Kentucky coaching staff that he was going to Kentucky, and then the Johnny Juzang thing happened, and that kind of put the wheels in motion that okay maybe this isn't the place where I want to go. I'm gonna have to compete for playing time, all that. So not d- completely directly, but kind of indirectly. Johnny Juzang is the reason that Kentucky didn't didn't get Jaden McDaniels. Then fast forward to now, Jaden McDaniels leaves because BJ Boston's coming in the the guards. It's like it's like the circle of life in in recruiting. I just thought that was kind of funny. Uh, but David, w- real real quickly, you're kind of our X's and O's guy. We talked about this. I think just Travis and I did on the the last podcast we did uh, before Devin Askew came on, and there. Back in January, there were the rumblings. We had talked about this in the past that he that Johnny had his bags packed, that he was ready to that he was ready to put his name in the transfer portal and get out of there. And one of the reason, you know, one of the key reasons behind it is because he thought that you know one of the West Coast people I talked to said that he kind of saw himself as a Devin Booker. He saw, um, okay, at Kentucky, Devin Booker was a pure catch and shoot guy, wasn't able to kind of show his full offensive skill set and then he gets to the NBA and Devin Booker becomes Devin Booker and that's what he kind of sees himself as being is okay yeah you know I like I like the spotlight on me I like being in a, in a system like Kentucky but at the same time I want to go somewhere where I can highlight my my abilities do you see Johnny as that kind of offensive talent I mean obviously not Devin Booker because Devin Booker's an all-star in the NBA but but a you know that that type of guy that he is going to be able to go somewhere and and as Travis said where he's going to be able to kind of ball out with with more uh, leeway I guess I don't see anything right now remotely close to Devin Booker <laughs> uh when, when I watch Devin Booker with a Phoenix Suns uh I, I don't see anything close to, now I'll say this <clears throat> If if I did, if there was a comparison, I think Devin went through a little bit of his freshman year where he was really trying to get adjusted to the college game. And I, I went back and watched a lot of these NCAA tournament games for the last month, and that's what's taken a lot of time. And, you know, I'm watching games that Devin Booker's involved in, and I'm like, man, when, when's he going to do something? What's he, you know, he's kind of standing around. It's not – the Devin Booker then doesn't resemble the Devin Booker now. Yeah. Uh, but which is their argument? I, they that that's that's what yeah, they they and, see themselves as. Right. Here's the thing. I don't I don't see it right now because all we've been able to see at Kentucky was a catch and shoot Johnny Juzang on the offensive end. But guys, I'm gonna tell you something. As I watched him, he got a longer leash as the season went, but 
there was just a lot of games Calipari couldn't play him because he could not adjust, not just to the college games, but to the Kentucky system. He was lost on the defensive end. Uh, you, you could tell he's out there. He really doesn't know what's going on about man and help and, and, and those things. And I, I, he just looked at me like, I'm like, hey, this is a guy that's just not ready yet mentally. Yeah. Not on a physical standpoint. So, like I said, we, we'll see. You know, I'm sure he wants to go somewhere where he has the opportunity to be a playmaker. But all I've seen so far is a catch-and-shoot guy. Yeah. And I, I'm a big fan of Johnny. I've, I've told you guys in the past, Johnny's one of my favorite players on the team. I love I loved his potential. I thought he was going to be a huge difference maker. You know, solid difference maker next year, but I thought his junior year was going to be when he was going to step into that starting role and be and be a special special talent. Um, it's a shame. I, I it kind of you know doesn't. It's it's just disappointing that we we're not going to be able to see that in a Kentucky uniform. I'm cheering him on. I'm rooting for him. I hope that he has he has great success. But unfortunately, it's not going to be in Lexington. Um, speaking of other slightly maybe quad a green similarities. Yeah, but uh, I think he's got more all-around skill set than Quade Green. Yeah. I think he's got a higher ceiling than Quade just because Quade is six foot in high top shoes, <laughs> shooting guard, trying to play point guard. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I get it, but yeah. Um, speaking yeah, of, when I say that, I'm talking about as far as the situation goes. You know, that's what he was. At Kentucky, like you say, at Kentucky, you know, he, he was basically, he, if he was going to do anything, he was a catch-and-shoot guy. And he says, okay, let me try to go somewhere where I can do more. Obviously, different players just because yeah. of size, but maybe same type of situation. Yeah. And you were talking about Jaden McDaniels, and then go, that was 100% correct about him pretty much ducking competition once Juzang got in the fold. And the thing is, Skill set wise, Juzang doesn't compare whatsoever to Jay McDaniels. Jaden McDaniels had a pretty mediocre season at Washington, a team that didn't make the NCAA tournament, and they had Quadi Green and Isaiah Stewart. But I mean, beside the point, the if Juzang wouldn't have came or if EJ would have tested the waters last year, then Jaden was coming. And but I'm gonna he, say he this. was definitely a, he was going to Kentucky for at least uh five to eight day period of time. Jaden McDaniels would have had a miserable experience at, at Kentucky. By far. You know, I I watched him at Peach Jam, uh gosh, the years run together now, I guess 2018. And he was just and I said it then, he was non competitive. And I had made the statement because I saw Joel Justice and uh uh Kenny Payne get up and walk out in the middle of the game. And, and I, you know, I, I, and I'm sitting there thinking as I watch him, how can they recruit this guy? I mean, there was just no effort whatsoever. And you could tell he, he just was not, he just did not have an alpha mentality. And, um, when they did that, I said, well, the recruitment was over. And I was really surprised that, that things warmed back up between the two and more from Kentucky's sake than Jay McDaniel's sake. Cause I, I, I just, he would have crumbled under Cal Perry. I remember watching the, the McDonald's All-American practices and forgetting that he was even a Kentucky target because I was there, you know, it was, I, th I think the only McDonald's All-Americans that UK had signed, they were still after Matthew Hurt. They were still after uh, Jaden McDaniels 
I think those were the only two that were still available. But uh, Khalil Whitney and Tyrese Max were the only guys there. So I was on the court watching, um, watching those two, seeing how they were playing. And I walked over to the other court, and I was watching. You know, I saw Anthony Edwards. I saw James Wiseman. I was watching all the other big-name guys. And then I saw Jaden McDaniels. I was like, I forgot he was even here because nobody was talking about him. He was he was quiet. He was kind of floating and floating on the perimeter. He wasn't initiating any type of 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 offense. He wasn't aggressive. He was just invisible. I mean, he was just invisible on the floor. And I remember watching. I was like, this is the guy that UK thinks is gonna like you know be their final you know final piece for this season. Like, oh yeah, I was I was not impressed at all. And then there were the rumblings that. He was thinking about leaving the event because you know it, it just wasn't wasn't his thing. He was thinking about packing his bags and bags and going home. But I, you know I can't confirm that. But it, that those were just the the over the overall rumblings that were going on uh, just with his recruitment and all that. So yeah, I think it was it 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 it, you, it worked out better in the end. But at the same time, the guy that essentially replaced him, Johnny Juzang, ended up leaving just a year later because of you know not similar reasons, but. Maybe similar reasons. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, th- I think Jaden and Cal would have butted heads more than any player that has ever come through the program, and that's saying a lot. Right yeah. There. Um, okay. Well, let's move forward to the other frustrating news going on right now. Yesterday, EJ Montgomery's father uh, was interviewed by Jerry Tipton of the Herald Leader, and it made big headlines, like big, big, big time headlines. He, the exact quote is so that so. The, the, the article itself that Jerry wrote, he interviewed Ben Howland at Mississippi State and asked him about his thoughts on EJ and whether he should return or not. He Ben basically said, yeah, definitely, he's he would be a star next year at Kentucky. Uh, he should follow the P.J. Washington mold and just trust the process. Go, you know, keep fighting, and, and you'll break through eventually. And he asked, Jerry Tipton asked, EJ's dad about those comments and basically said, hey, what do you think about you kind of stepping in next year and kind of taking over the offense similar to what PJ did, did in his second year, what Nick did last year as a junior, that kind of, of increased role. And this was the exact quote. Just because he did other things to help his team win and didn't get to showcase his offense doesn't mean he can't do it. Why come back and waste a whole other year when you can already do those things anyway? Huh. Uh, Travis, what are your initial thoughts hearing said quote? I think it's no secret whatsoever that people close to EJ view him more as a wing than a big. And I feel like that if they re- return to Kentucky next year, say Nick leaves, that they feel like they're going to be pigeonholed to playing the five. And people think, People also close to him also think that they can get a two-way deal based off of workouts from last season. That NBA teams and scouts and GMs know the skills that he has that he showcased in combine um, uh, scenarios last year. And see, I said scenarios that time, not scenarios. There we go. The, um, <laughs> but I, I think that um, I think that he definitely. I know that as of a couple days ago. I was told that Kentucky staff was expecting or not expecting was bracing for all five guys to leave that had entered their name. And the one that was closest to come that they felt most confident in possibly coming back was EJ based on that. His was going to be the most uh, feedback based uh, decision out there out of the five. And that 
anybody with common sense knows that you saw Sam Vecini's big board today. He's not even on there. And Vecini the, literally came a, out. He Vecini came out afterward and said somebody somebody asked him about EJ and he said if I did another fifty players because it's a hundred man list. There's only sixty players in the draft. It was a hundred man list, so he gave 40, 40 cushion players of guys. Okay, yeah, they might be able to float into that late second round pick. And he said he wouldn't even include him in the next fifty. So if he did a hundred and fifty player list, EJ wouldn't be included. And I talked to somebody that uh, talk, that knows somebody close to Kentucky's program, and they said that, like, not even based on these articles, that Kentucky is feeling less confident that EJ comes back than they were a few days ago. That they're just there's more pessimism than optimism right now, but they still think that he has the highest chance to come back. But this same guy knew him very, like, knows people around him, knows knew him very well in high school, knew him um, very well in Kentucky said that it would be tragic for him to leave. So, um, honesty hour time. The you, you bring up the two-way contract. We've been talking about that behind the scenes for, for several days now. Um, so I did. I looked it up, and the, the I think it's a $77,000 um, salary for being just a straight-up G League player. But you get a pro-rated... Um, Basically, rookie minimum, you know, dollar amount for every game that you play because a two-way deal you get you, you'll get time in in the NBA as well playing in you know you know playing spot the minutes same, here and there. The same with two-way deals most of the time is I, I explained this just uh, on the cast game. Most of the time, a two-way deal. The good thing about two-way deals most of the time, EJ would probably get to pick whatever. NBA team he wanted to play for. Right. But at the same time, you're on a two-way deal, you're allotted X amount of games. I don't know the I believe you of. are able to be with the NBA team like and this includes practice like, you know, just days with the team. I think it was 40 days during the season. Something I I I'm just it's off the top of my head because I'm a Celtics fan and, and I follow guys, Taco though, Fel, Taco are, Fall and all those guys, but Two-way deal guys, um, a lot a lot of them, they'll either get, uh, like, if they're on a contender and they get their NBA games in, they will they will be sitting at the end of the bench and never get in the game. Or if you go to someplace that's bad, like, let's say the Cavs or the Hornets or somebody like that, uh, just a bad franchise, you go and you play at the end of the year when everybody's just tanking. Pretty much yeah. like that's what Ding Adele did a couple of years ago. He's yeah. on a two-way deal. Alex Poitras. Uh, but then you get guys like Michael Mulder who were on two-way deals that go in and light it up in the NBA, and then they're getting contracts. So you have the chance to showcase what you can do. So it's a it's forty-five days. So you get forty-five days with the team, and that's games and practice. So with that prorated money, I believe the maximum EJ would be able to make next year on a two-way contract is upwards of three hundred and seventy thousand dollars or something along those lines. Um, get combining the G League salary and Whatever he if and that's if he were to play, uh, be with the NBA team for the full forty five days. Now sometimes you're on a two way deal and you only get, you know, the, they only give you twenty days with the team because you didn't earn. You know, there are different circumstances, but you get forty five at the most. So at most he would be able to make three hundred plus thousand dollars a year. You know, for the next year, which 
I don't know his family situation with money. I don't know what's going on, you know, behind the scenes with all that. But that's that's some a, a decent one year salary. That's the that's the the positive to all this. The negative. We've been talking to people behind the scenes, and EJ has essentially a negative draft stock right now. People overseas don't even think that he would be like a successful, um, you know, guy overseas right now. That he doesn't. That they don't. They're not sure about um, physically, mentally, all, all that stuff. If he would even be a, a solid fit there right now. There is a lot of pessimism on the NBA side of things about, you know, there's still that in, intrigue with him, you know, being a six foot ten guy with loose guard skills. But in terms of actual production, NBA teams are not sold at all. They are begging EJ to return to school. So, well, see, here's my thing with EJ. EJ is six foot ten, oh, like 220, 230, 240 pounds. He is an above average height and athlete in college basketball but and during his time at kentucky he scored in six figures six times i believe and has had one double double at six foot ten he scored in six figures six times well, why is no, he not a, why is he not a first round pick <laughs> yeah they just don't like his ceiling yeah but uh, uh no he scored in double figures six times yeah okay david Give me your long term. What do you think EJ can be? You know, be be EJ's advisor right now. What do you think his long term potential is? You know, be you know, play devil's advocate with it. What? Why do you think it'd be a good decision for him to go pro right now? And why do you think it would be a a, a better decision to return to school? Well, to start with the the money on uh, the ten day contracts really went up over the last couple of years. My first experience with it was uh, with the Vanderbilt site was Luke Cornett, yeah, and uh, who went into the Knicks, and I think at that time he and that was three years ago, and I think at that time he could make like 150, yeah. So it's 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 really gone up. Uh, This is similar to uh, a question that that Justin gave us about uh, handicapping one through five which which players that, that might come out from Kentucky would have the best NBA career. And uh, EJ, I, I go al- along uh, a lot with what Travis says. You know, you look at him right now and, and even through the season, I, I'll admit, I've said it all year long, that, that I felt like EJ would come back. And I said it through Nick Richards' sophomore year because I didn't see anything from their season uh, just potentially – to give uh, NBA scouts any reason to draft them. I know guys can have bad seasons in, in college and scouts say, yeah, but they've got X, this, 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 and this. And I, I don't see that with EJ uh, right now. Now, Travis makes a good point too, that they feel like he's more of a wing player and not a big. So, and, and he, he, I understand that from this standpoint. The NBA now is not a two-post league, and Calipari played a two-post game, basically, with him and Richards on the floor at one time, and this brings us to another subject. When I have asked individuals why, I can't understand why John Calipari is having trouble recruiting bigs. If I was a big guy, you know you're going to get the ball. It's 
know it's going to go through you. Why would you not want to play there? And the answer I get, yeah, it does, but it goes on the block. The guys now, they want the ball out on the floor. Mm -hmm. And EJ's not a five. He's a four. So he may be looking at the standpoint and saying, hey, man, I've played in the mid post as as long as I can play in the mid post. I've got to be able to go somewhere where I can step out a little bit and show that I can do that. Uh, and so, so that's an issue. I look at his package right now, and here's what I would say in his favor. With his size and athletic ability at being 6'10", he's, he's shown his willingness to play the roles to garbage player. He did that last year. They put him in a dunker spot. He got rebounds. He, he showed he could play. Uh, he could get to the rim to get offensive rebounds and when the ball was driven. So he could accept a role, and it reminds me of a guy like P.J. Tucker who, who kind of does that. He's been around the NBA for a long time. So there are places for guys like that. So I, I just think there's a lot that goes into this. And, and it, you know, we look at guards sometimes. There's a guy, is he put on a two and he thinks he needs to be the point guard. But I, I think, you know, him thinking – Hey, he, he needs to go out on the floor and play. There may be more than that, what people realize, because, you know, next year he's, he's, he's probably down in the post again. So here's my thing with EJ is I think I'm, and EJ is a phenomenal kid. I, I really love him as a person. So this isn't me harping on him whatsoever, but I think that EJ was giving plenty of opportunities to show what he could do this year. If he was able to hit a mid range jumper at a halfway decent rate, Nobody would have a no. Nobody would. Uh, he'd be on draft boards. Nobody would really have a problem if he was able to hit bunnies around the rim, like that and Utah game. Rebound, rebound, seven, eight rebounds a game consistently, and he would be on draft boards, and nobody would have a problem with him going. The thing is, he just hasn't shown anything yet, and he's had ample opportunity. Yeah, it's it's. You know, I think I, I think it, he looks like a nervous kid to me out there playing, and I, I wonder if he's like not. You are, Go ahead. Sorry. I wonder if he's really not just kind of a pleaser type and he wants to really do well. And I'm like you, all the, all the layups he had around the rim, you know, when you're like, how did that not go in? Yeah. And you know, if you watch him shoot, his shot form's good. Yeah. And you watch him warm up and you watch him in games. I'm like, man, that's a good looking shot. It just doesn't go. So I don't know that that's, that's one that's been always, uh, kind of a weird situation for me, you know, on, on why he's not played better than what he has. My thing with EJ and like any, any player, like you can watch them move and tell that they have pro movements and like you watch him, he's way too stiff. He does not move like a pro whatsoever. Yeah. I don't think he, I don't think that's something that's ever going to change. So in terms of, of handicapping his, his decision. So <laughs> To say that there is pessimism, you know, surrounding his his status right now, and the fact that most people around him and even on Kentucky's side assume that he's he's now leaning toward toward going to the draft. Um, my thinking is there is no way. So as of right now, if if I were to to predict today if whether he's staying or going, I'm I'm obviously going to pick leaving because you know proof is in the pudding with comments and 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 kind of if you're if you're this hell-bent on leaving regardless of what the, the what what's going on outside of of you know draft stock and all that then you're going to leave but my thinking is we still haven't gotten to the the Calipari conversations and and the you know where he sits down with them and, and has that brutally honest conversation of 
here's what you got to do. Let's let's take these next steps. My thinking is, yes, as much as he wants to leave right now, I think when he kind of has that moment of, of realizing that he is a 0% chance of being drafted this year and that there's that, – that all NBA teams desperately want him to return to school, that he's going to have some moment of of clarity where he goes, you know what, I'm not in any rush. We just saw what Nick did this past year. We, you know, I can be a junior. We saw what Willie Cauley sign can do. I can, I can come back and, and I can tough it out one more year. Um, that's my that's my hope, and that's what I'm gonna. That's why I'm still kind of putting it at a, at a 50-50 right now. Travis, what or what is your gut right now uh, telling you? And, and if you had to make a, a an official prediction, where would what would you say? I'm dead on the money at fifty fifty. I think that it's, I think the people around the program slightly believe that he's going to go pro, but I think the common sense could possibly win out in this situation be like you said that he's not going to get drafted and he could come back and have a surefire starting spot on one of the best teams in the country alongside other good talent that's going to draw eyes every night and i think that that could possibly win out in the end and he could return so i'm not ready to make a prediction on on this one yet but i feel i'm right on the fence of i as of right now, I would lean return just because of the common sense factor. But like I said, people close to the program are really, really, really bracing for him to leave. Uh, David, what's your what's your official prediction as of today? I'm 100 percent on Travis's 50-50. <laughs> and I, I want to hit it from a different angle. And um, we could have a, I think we could have a whole show on this. Just the whole. Of all the uncertainty in the world right now and in the sports world and the way it's affected the processes, the and in this case, we're talking about whether a kid goes pro or not. The combines, they're not going to get to have. They're not going to have individual workouts. There are so many uh, variables that go into this that it would make sense to me that kids wouldn't go out, come out, because we're seeing players all over the place. I saw a tweet, um, somebody that opened the doors at Black Friday at Walmart. Here comes the crowd rushing in. They said players flocking to go in the NBA draft. And it it doesn't make any sense because you don't get all this feedback. And I don't understand all that. And then you get into a situation now where I read the other day, I think it was, uh, I don't know, maybe Jeff Goodman or somebody, was saying that scout or that scouts that agents are going to have more input on this draft than any other draft in history because they can sell their clients to NBA front offices. Well, if you don't have an agent, you don't get sold. And but if you do get an agent, you've cut yourself off. You can't come back to college. And it, it's just just such a crazy process. That, you know, I've, I've seen Saban Lee, you know, he's declared for Vanderbilt, Marcus Carr from Minnesota, and guys who are not going to get drafted, but they have said we're leaving our college eligibility open to come back. I just think it's going to be harder and harder to get drafted this year if you don't have an agent, and, and it's going to make it all that much tougher. And, and here's the crazy thing on top of it. If the draft stays where it's at now, the 29th, they've got till June 15th. So this is really going to be silly season. We're going to go back and forth the next, not weeks, but months. You know, it's just turned April 
Uh, these guys can st- can stay out and have a big question mark surrounding them basically for the next 10 weeks. Now, outside of e- EJ is kind of the big, you know, the, the big ticket item. Everybody's talking about EJ and his decision right now because he's the, the biggest fringe guy, I guess. Um, but Emmanuel quickly is kind of right, has been seen as the other, the other top fringe guy at Kentucky. Last week, there was a lot of rumblings out there that he was leaning toward returning. Um, that that if that you you were to put a prediction in back then that that quickly would would return for a, a junior season. Now a week later, it's seeming all but certain that he's going to put his name in the draft and keep it in there. Um, why is that? Because last week. People thought that he was still a late second, potentially undrafted type guy, um, but there have been some some pretty strong rumblings behind the scenes that quickly is is not even late second round, but he's um, you know anywhere from that thirty five to forty five range. And I've actually heard from a few different people that that he could slide in at the very end of the first round, um, and that's kind of what has led to this this shift in optimism about or on his side of things that that he's getting positive feedback and that he's going to end up going uh david what have what you know what would you say about quickly stock right now and and if if you were an nba gm why would you select him in the draft well obviously we know what his strengths are his ability to shoot um i, I think it, it, when he plays in the nba he's going to have to do it as a point guard excuse me um I always thought he was kind of a tweener just a little bit because he, if he plays to two, he's really too small and he's going to have to, he can be more of a sport scoring point guard. So obviously I think if he does go that high, the scouts have seen enough from him to say, Hey, yes, he was considered a point guard coming out of high school. And we've seen enough from him that we think he can play the point. And, I think we said when I first started doing this show with you guys, and it was before the season started, we had talked about the year before, and we had kind of taken stock how uh, I thought at the end of the freshman year he he was better than Hagen's at the point guard spot, but he's, he, he had a little bit shorter leash yeah. uh, from Calipari. Um, I, I think that's what they've seen, that they feel that that, that he can play the point uh, you know, we, we've talked about this before, uh, why he would come back and why he wouldn't. And, you know, I said it to two, if he came back, I didn't feel like he could do anything to up his stock playing to two unless he grows five inches during off season. And that's not going to happen. And, and Travis had made a great point all the way back then. If Calipari could sell him on the roll that, hey, if you come back, we'll let you play point and let you demonstrate what your skills are there so that the NBA guys can see you. But this somewhere along the line, he's getting feedback from, and I think if there's changes, the season's over now, they don't have to concentrate on the season. They've been able to talk to NBA people. And and that's the only thing I can figure out. And I think somewhere along the line, you know, he's being told by more than one team that yes, you can play the point guard spot. We, we feel like you've got what it takes to play that spot in the NBA. I, I want to see uh, when Jonathan Giovanni and John Wasserman's next mock drafts come out because those are the guys that I really trust. So I want to see where they've got him. So far, Giovanni's never had him in his, his 
top two rounds. So I, I'm interested to see kind of where that goes here. Uh, he should have one coming out any time. I want to see those. Travis, we've talked uh, over the last several days that that okay, this is in, in, admittedly, admittedly a pretty poor draft. This draft is is very very top heavy, and most teams kind of see see the. the you know, the lottery on as rotational guys, you want to just find whatever rotational guys you can get. And that has been part of the reason why quickly stock has, has risen so much over the last week or so, because he's a guarantee, you know, exactly what he is. You know, he's going to come in. He's going to be a Landry Shamit type guy. He's going to be a little spark plug off the bench and teams need that. And that's, you know, why take a chance on, and you know, just for for familiarity, an EJ Montgomery, where you're like, okay, yeah, he could be a, a star one day if he puts it all together, but he could also be an easy bust. Why take a risk on a guy like that when you need rotation guys like Emmanuel quickly that you could have potentially at the end of the first round or early second? Is that kind of what you're leaning right now and why you think that he'll end up going or do you even think that he's going to end up going what is your what's your what's the latest from 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 you he's he could definitely still come back that's the thing like i said this is gonna go for every guy from now on every guy that's put their name in uk is bracing for them to leave um i think the biggest question marks with quickly wouldn't be answered at it, with him playing on on the ball on point guard, I think the biggest question marks I've heard are back to back seasons. He shot forty one percent from two point field goals. He, this season he shot better from three pointer, and he uh, shot over six attempts from uh, two point area. And so his paint finishing is one thing, and the main thing is dribble separation. I don't think he's. I think he would expose more weaknesses in that area of his game. I just don't think he's ever. I think. Some people had him labeled as a point guard coming out of high school. I think he's always been a combo guard or should have been. And I think that he's going to expose <clears throat> some more of those weaknesses in, in that category. And I think he's just going to – I think he is what he is. And I think his highest ceiling is playing off ball and being a – he's going to take a couple of years in the G League to – he needs to get uh, gain some strength. Some He needs to make some strength gains. Watch out. He needs to make some strength gains. And he's got a strong core, but his legs, his base is what a lot of scouts are worried about. And I think that he he's going to be a three and D guy after a couple of seasons. He's going to be like a Seth Curry, a Landry Shamit, guys we've talked about in here before as comparisons for them. Just some guy that can come in off the bench, be like the seventh, eighth, ninth man in the rotation, play 10, 15 minutes a game, play some defense and hit some corner threes. If quickly can hit corner threes and threes from the hash, and play some solid defense in the NBA. He can make five to ten million dollars a year just doing those three things. Yeah, I mean that's that's what it boils down to. Teams need that exact type of player, and that's who he is right now. And if if that's what he's comfortable with, if, if he's not dying to be a you know a lead point guard, I mean there there is a ton of money to be made as a an NBA you know spark plug off the bench. I mean. Jamal Jamal Crawford made a living off that. Lou Williams is making a living off that. Those type of players are 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 needed in this league, and there's a ton of value in that. Um, 
it, it, what's kind of funny is I think last week I put it at like 70% likely that EJ was going to come back and quickly was the 50-50 guy, and now I've flipped both of those. I'd say that it's probably 70% now that quickly leaves, and, uh, and EJ is probably the, 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 you know, most likely the 50-50 guy. Outside of those two, though, are you guys feeling any more opt? You know th- that there's any chance that you could get UK could get any of those of Ashton, Tyrese, or Nick Richards back? I know there was you know Ashton went on his Instagram live said, oh we're going to run it back next season. Uh, I think there was some bu- there was some buzz that Nick Richards was was you know thinking uh, light, loosely thinking about making making a, a senior year return. Uh, Travis, are you, if if you put any money on it, what are the chances UK gets any of those three back? On Cats Illustrated yesterday, I said that the likelihood from least likely to most likely to return would be Maxi Hagens and then quickly and and uh, EJ or quickly and Nick tied together and then EJ. I think that Nick could return. I think I would want a senior Nick out of anybody returning off that team. Oh, um, yeah, definitely. Because I mean, Maxi's gone. He's lottery money. He's gone. Um, but I think I would rather have a senior Nick over quickly back. Um, some people uh, might agree or disagree with that, but um, I think Ashton Higgins is gone regardless of where his draft stock is at right now. Yep. But he's, he's a guy that could come back, but I just don't see it as of today. Uh, David, any last-second optimism about any of those other three? No, and I agree. I'd like to have Richards back because they're going to need him in the post. But like I said, I still think the next few months it's going to go back and forth a lot on a lot of these guys. And here's the thing. I think we would all feel better off if they – it used to be like the old days and they would need to make a decision by the middle of April. But now, man, this thing's spread out. So, like I said, I think it's going to be a silly season here for the next few weeks uh, around the country, not just with Kentucky guys, but with guys from all over from, from every program on what they're going to do. There's just going to be a lot of – players i'm afraid get bad advice and go out on their own uh when they should have come back and uh uh, sacrifice some careers so with this scenario it would leave dante allen as the as one of the returners as would would keon brooks if those two are the only returners Kentucky has, um what is your are, are you guys more pessimistic neutral or you are you optimistic that UK is going to find a major like what what is your level of of comfort with this roster as it stands going into as David says silly season Travis I think that I don't I don't expect like let's say all these guys leave I don't expect that John Calipari will get caught with his pants down I think that he has a plan I don't know what the plan is I've heard multiple people say that they're gonna hit the transfer market hard whenever the one a lot of people feel strongly that the one year or that the one time free transfer rule is going to get passed this summer. And I think Kentucky, that's going to be the wild West, by the way, that's going to oh, be yeah. a crazy season and in, in and of itself. But I think that as of right now, you got, you got a few solid pieces, but I think it's a sweet 16 ceiling team right now as it stands. Uh, David, Your level of I kind of really think where to start on this. There's so many ways to go. Um, you know, there's still rulings that the NCAA is going to make, and, and everything that we've spoken about is totally off the table if they do pass the automatic transfer yeah. rule. 
I don't know where that's going. And there's some that think it will. I talked to a Big Ten coach last week who, who still thinks it's going to happen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then there's ones that don't because of all the uncertainty that, that's going on that, that now may not be the timing for that. So uh, I can't imagine everybody leaving if that happens and, and John Calipari not having some type of answer uh, that, you know, that would just totally be out of his character. But I, you know, I, 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 I'd like to uh, be able to sit down with him and, and, and talk to him for about an hour and, and <laughs> be able to inject him with proof serum. Uh, and it's so, a, you know, they could say, Hey, th- this is, this is what I'm thinking because, you know, I, I, I'd be very interested to see what's going on in the war room over there right now. Now, while we wait for that transfer rule to pass and what the heck's going on with that, um, the grad the grad transfer market is hot and heavy. Everybody and everybody is cutting a list and and you know putting their names in the in the portal and and committing to schools and it's it's going crazy. Out of all of the major um, the, the the major grad transfer options, Kentucky has been linked to one. One name has been has been a has has conf, has confirmed that Kentucky has reached out, and that was Amari Hardy. And there was some optimism because of the obvious. Jaden Hardy has been seen as a Kentucky lean for for a long time, and put two and two together. His brother wants to co- is looking for a new school. You get a, a guy like Amari Hardy, and it essentially locks up Jaden as well. Put you know it makes sense. But since the initial kind of heat of Kentucky's interest, Travis, what have you heard about Amari Hardy and his recruitment and, and what you think Kentucky's chances are with him? I think he's definitely somebody that could be on the table if Emmanuel Quickly and Ashton Higgins were to leave. As of right now, I think he might be leaning towards staying out west, but he is definitely a guy that could help Kentucky next season in, in some way. I don't know if he – I'm I, he would just start a minute coming off the bench or starting, of course, but – I think that he's a guy that they could bring in that's a upperclassman that could kind of show Devin Askew, some other kids, the ropes. And I think that I've heard that he wants like 30 minutes a game, X amount of shots. Um, and he wants to be able to play some point guard and all those are available at Kentucky next year. Hagan's and quickly where to leave. Um, David, what about fit? What do you think that fit would be like at Kentucky? And do you think it would, uh, that that would be the answer for, for Kentucky? Should Amari Hardy be, be the uh, wildcat? I wonder how much to, it goes what we just talked about. How much does John Calipari know? And, and, and what is he thinking about who leaves and who comes back? Uh, if quickly came back, you know, if you ask us two weeks ago on this, we would say, well, there's not really a need worst case scenario. There is a need. And, uh, it's, it's probably going to be at that spot. You know, we understood that he wanted to go somewhere where he could play point guard, where it could get a, a lot of playing time. But, you know, you've got Devin Askew at that spot. So if he did, if, if the recruitment did get serious, could he get enough playing time with Devin Askew there uh, to get what they wanted? Now, let me say this. It, it kind of sounds to me from the interviews that I've read before with his dad, and, and maybe I shouldn't say this, but I will, that maybe they they want an idea 
I'm not going to say a guarantee, but maybe at least an idea of how much playing time they're going to get per game. And that's going to register into their decision. And I just don't know that if you're John Calipari or any other coach that you can do that, unless you're just totally decimated. Uh, and I don't think Kentucky is, you know, it's not what it was if all these guys leave, but I mean, we still got to talk. You've got two guys coming back and you got six really good players coming in. So you're, you're seven or eight deep right now, but you're, you're as deep as you were last year. And, uh, so where does, uh, where does he fit in? And we've got Devin Askew playing that, that role. Then do you say, Hey, we'll give you 30 minutes of playing time and we're only going to give Devin 10. I don't I don't know that you can sit down to a recruit's father and, and make that kind of, of promise or statement that, yeah, this is what we're going to do. So that that leads into kind of what what I had been hearing. So the, so Travis and I both, like the, the West Coast rumors have been going on for the last four days or so. Um, but this weekend, somebody from out West kind of told me that, that there is that Calipari is interested in, in Hardy, but there, the I don't want to say there's a personality clash or something, but I think they are cautious about moving forward with it, knowing where they stand with Jaden. And somebody that same person basically told me it could it could go really wrong. Say Amari's, you know, Amari comes in, he wants to be the starter, um, you know, wants to get the 30 minutes, wants to get all the shots, and it doesn't go well, then you lose Jaden out of the deal. And Jaden has been a guy that they've been, you know, circling for a long time. That's been their 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 guy in, in the backcourt for, for next year. And you don't want to risk that for a guy that you don't know if if he's the answer. So I don't I, I think they're kind of keeping their op, that option open knowing that he could very well commit to a, a West Coast school right now and effectively end his recruitment. Um, but knowing that that transfer tr- the, the transfer thing is going to happen in the next couple months that there's going to be some some other grad transfer options that open up. I just don't know if they want to go all in with this until they absolutely have to because they're not desperate yet with quickly potentially returning uh, with so many other moving parts moving parts with it. Um, it's just I don't I don't know if it's the right fit quite yet. So that I I'm leaning away from Amari Hardy right now. If if I were going to put it, put my money on it, uh, Bryce Aiken's another guy that that announced yesterday that he cut his list down to four or five, whatever it was, and did not include Kentucky. Um, after we were kind of told right right off the bat that that was a name to 100% watch for Kentucky. That if if things got serious, that he would end up at Kentucky. Um, Travis, what's what are your thoughts on that and the fact that Kentucky has never had any confirmed contact with him? That that we were like, okay, is this is Kentucky moving behind the scenes with this? What's going on? Because it, how does it go from this is a guy Kentucky watch. This is a guy that we need to that that UK fans need to watch out for to a guy that doesn't even include Kentucky in his final list. I think a lot of that was just predetermined from different people on social media and like people figuring that UK was going to have to go after some grad transfer options. He's the leading scorer out of anybody that's on the grad transfer market in the uh, in the guard position. But my biggest thing with him is it may have been red flag for Kentucky because in four seasons he's only played sixty five games. Yeah. He's only played over 20 games t- once, and that was as a freshman. Uh, his see his junior year when he played, he he started 17 out of 18 games, played 33 minutes a game. He averaged 22 points a game. So, yeah. 
I think that that was more of a people were saying that UK should reach out to them than they did. Because, like you said, we've never heard of confirmed contact between the two parties. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I was a little shocked that, that it got to this point that he was willing to cut his list. I, I thought it would be one of those he's going to hold out for a little while longer, um, especially knowing that you know the, the dead period just got extended till the, the first visit they'd be able to make was June 1st. I kind of thought that they would at least – that he would at least wait it out and say, you know well, – there's, you know, let's wait for the NBA draft decisions. Let's wait for all this, and then I'll. If Kentucky doesn't call, then then we'll we'll move on from there. But for the, him to just kind of said, you know what, I'm ready to cut my list now. I I definitely thought it was interesting. Another guy that has been linked to Kentucky in the past uh, is, is Grant Golden. In fact, yesterday Richmond was announced as a a, a non conference opponent for Kentucky at Rupp Arena next season. And people kind of put two and two together like, oh, maybe UK kind of, you know, with they want Grant Golden to come to Kentucky. And in response, Richmond was like, all right, well, if this if we're if we're going to do this, then uh, you got to put us on your schedule next year for, you know, for for next season. That it made sense initially, um, but Travis, it was kind of it, might, it kind of moved it moved rather quickly. He went from potential option to somebody from from Richmond side of things reaching out and saying this is that he is not an option he is not transferring he is he is intent on on returning for another year at at Richmond uh what Travis what is your sense with all this do you do you think that that there's some stuff going going on behind the scenes or do you think that Grant Golden is no longer an option uh for Kentucky or was he ever an option I think that he was going to be an option if he enter the portal and I think that UK was definitely going to be interested. I can pretty much confirm that, that they were going to be 100% interested if he was to enter the portal. The thing with him is he never did. And the people that I talked to with connections to Dayton said that while it was slightly considered that he is returning, or I keep on saying date with him at Richmond, then, uh, but he is one that he is 100% returning to Richmond. Yeah. Uh, tr- tr- David, what do you think about that fit? What what would you have uh, liked or disliked about Grant Golden at Kentucky? I don't really know enough about him, but uh, to be honest with you, um, but I guess the thing that keeps going through my mind with all these guys, and I was going to say it a while ago, and now is as good a timing as any. You know, we're we're really not no, the guys that we've talked about have really not addressed what Kentucky's issue is next year. And, and that's you get a center. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just like, you know, perimeter, 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 perimeter. And, uh, even if they brought one in you know, like I said, they're still going to have guards next year. You've got a really good class coming in. Uh, you add Dante Allen to that, you know, they're going to have perimeter players. Uh, the, I don't know about his fit, but the fit that, that I think we all agree on is, John Calipari needs some big guys next year. Yeah. <laughs> See, I watched his game film, and I think he's very skilled, but he makes the Kari Johnson, Nate Sestino look like Michael Jordan in terms of <laughs> athletic ability. He is and, one thousand. He's one thousand percent below the rim. I think that he would have been a nice guy to bring in as a eighth, ninth man, as as a body. But if you're depending on somebody that is a slow clock, he's very skilled though. He's a great passer. He's probably one of the best passing big men I've seen film on. But 
when you look at his speed and athleticism, if you got somebody like that starting center for Kentucky with the guys that they have on the roster next season and Clark Boston, Keon Brooks, you know, ask you guys that can run, I think that that really shortens their ceiling quite a bit. Those guys out of that out of that level though are are especially private schools like that, they're too unathletic. And and uh, there's a difference in getting a grad transfer from Oklahoma State or Baylor than there is from Richmond and, and Lehigh and somewhere like that. Uh, because most of these guys, like you say, they're under-the-rim players, and, and they're just – they've got nice skill sets, but the athleticism is just not there. And like I said, I'll admit when I'm, un, I'm, ed, I'm un educated on him. Uh, I'm going by what um, – Travis says there, I don't know that much about him. I've not watched one second of film about him, uh, on him. You know, I, I'll go with 100% what, uh, what Travis says on that one. But, you know, from what he said in the page, just, you know, it, that didn't seem like a fit. Yeah. Uh, and especially with what they need inside. You know, when I talk about needing bigs, uh, I need to clarify that they need more athletic bigs, not guys who can step out and stretch the floor a little bit. Yeah. Um, one guy that could be a fit that, that we you – know, things are about to pick up very, very soon with him is Greg Brown, who is set to make his decision on April 24th. Um, so this recruitment has been very, very interesting because it started as him being a 100,000% lock to Texas if things went well this season. Everybody knew that if if Shaka was still there, they made the NCAA tournament. It was a successful year that he was going to end up at Texas. And then things started going to south for Texas, and then he started flirting a bit with uh, Auburn, and Memphis took the lead for a while, and Kentucky, you know, things went well on his official visit. And then the season ends ab- abruptly, and Shaka Smart is announced as – the Texas announces that he's going to be able to return as head coach. And – all of the momentum shifted completely back to Texas, just putting two and two together. I don't know if it was if if it was because people were actually knowing that that Kentucky was the or that that Texas was the the final option, or if they were just assuming it based on past comments. Um, over the last week or so, Travis, there have been some rumblings that Kentucky has. Um, you you told us that 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 there was. A phone call potentially something happened that Kentucky was made aware that they were right there in in you know co position for his services. Um, what do you think is going on with all these rumblings? Uh, if you had to um, make your best prediction, what do you think happens, and why do you think this Kentucky buzz is growing right now when it is? I think that when it, in my opinion, I think whenever it comes down to it, he's going to go to Texas, and I've felt that way for a while ever since that. Ever since Shaka Smart was guaranteed to be back at Texas next season, the only thing if you want to play um, conspiracy theory here for a minute, we could say that they don't feel obliged to go to Texas now. Now that Shaka is guaranteed another year back, but I still think he's going to Texas. The thing with the phone call is, I feel like. I feel as if Greg's dad is getting people to continue to recruit Greg and that like just keep his, his recruitment interesting and keep the excitement centered around his announcement. 
because his dad has also messaged, messaged people that were like, hey, do you need a Texas edit of Greg since that's, probably, since that's where you're going? He's like, may or not be, you got to stay tuned. And like giving them the uh, the link to where he's going to make his announcement on YouTube or whatever on their YouTube channel. So I think he's just trying to stir up interest in the recruitment, if we're being honest. Now, David, we talked about uh, – we, we got the first public comments from Greg Brown in, in, a, in a little bit. Uh, he had an interview with Rivals.com. What were your takeaways from, from that interview um, that, that he did with, I believe it was Corey Evans? No, it, actually, it was Eric Bossy. Oh, what, oh that's right. That's right. Uh, no, no, no big deal. Uh, and I'm looking at the interview now, and uh, just his dad, uh, and this, I like his dad. We've had a really good relationship. We've spoken several times in the past, but um, he, it's obvious here that, that his dad has taken over the recruitment because I'm going to read some of the questions here. Um I'm sorry, you're right. It was Corey and not Eric Bossy. I was going to see now. I'm sorry. But anyway, uh, Corey asked him, he says, you have a big decision coming up on April 24th, but why did you pick that date first off? And he said, I didn't really. My dad did. We just randomly randomly decided on it. And he said uh, he said that. And I said, oh, okay. So uh, <laughs> that, that – and his dad has, has – Really, uh, like I said, kind of putting the feelers out there, as uh, as you guys have said. Uh, as far as the teams go, they asked him about Kentucky, and he said, how about Kentucky? It's the only blue blood on your final list. And Greg's answer was, just because they're a blue blood and how they do things with how many pros they get put in the league, all that stuff is basically it. So that's all he said about it. Uh, said a lot about uh, the other schools, and particularly Texas. He had the most. He said more about Auburn. He said, uh, I kind of came from that interview thinking Texas was one, Memphis was two, Auburn was three, uh, Michigan maybe four, Kentucky five. Now, that <laughs> may be a smokescreen. I don't know. But I, I don't know if, if Greg – is good enough in the interview process to where he's able to throw a smoke screen out there. Now he can be coached up. There's no doubt about that. But just from looking at all of it, uh, and I think I told you guys this a few days ago, I, I saw nothing from that article. I thought it was Texas going in. I saw nothing from that article to make me think it's still not Texas. Now let me let me preface by saying I I, I too think that he's going to end up at, at Texas and and you know this will all be laughing at the end of this but one thing that I I do keep going back to after reading that interview is the Kevin Knox recruitment if you guys I don't know if you guys remember but when Kevin Knox it was like the week or two before he made his decision he's very similar situation he talked to uh, some people in the media. And in one in interview in particular, everybody thought Duke was the leader. Everybody thought UNC was kind of flirting there, maybe Florida State. There were a couple couple other schools involved. And same situation. They went down the list. 
they asked about Duke. Oh man, I would I would do anything to play for a coach like Coach K and to, for to go to a, a blue blood program like Duke and and you know a historic place. Man, I'd love to do that. UNC. Oh, Roy Williams. Blah blah blah. Just he. You go down the list and he was hyping up everybody. And then when they got to Kentucky, same thing. He said, "Uh, yeah, it's it's a program that speaks for itself, and you know, I I like him." And Everybody assumed from there, all right, well, yeah, he, there's no chance he's going to end up at Kentucky. And then, sure enough, it was a smokescreen in itself that, that he was trying to – I think his dad had a quote afterward that, that he was sitting there laughing, reading all the comments to that, that article, people going, oh, here, Coach Cal's missing out on another elite recruit. Kentucky's going to suck next year, blah, 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 that he was sitting there laughing the whole time because he knew the whole time that they were just screwing with everybody. So that's what I keep going back to. I keep thinking back. Back to the 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 fact that can, that nobody even knew that Kentucky was even going to make his final list. That nobody knew that he had a Kentucky offer. Nobody knew anything about this kid's recruitment and Kentucky's involvement with it this summer. And then it just randomly pops out of the blue. Hey, Kentucky's on our list, and he we've had an offer from the school for for weeks now. That's my only my, my the only thing that I'm sitting there going hmm. What if there's some more of that type of stuff going on? We already know that their family likes to, you know, be public, but also move in silence behind the scenes and kind of lay the groundwork for for some other things. We've we we keep asking, going back to that same question with Coach Cal. What is he doing? Why is there no movement here? Why is he not reaching out to these grad transfer guys? What 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 are we missing here? And it would be the biggest Coach Cal move to not tell anybody for to basically tell. People in Greg Brown's camp. Okay, shut up about it. We're gonna we'll, we'll get this thing done, but you know, don't say a word about it, and then have this be the surprise. That's my only my only thing. I still think he'll end up at, at Texas. I do think that it's it is a smokescreen, but man, I just I just keep going back to that uh, that thing. Um, if not for Greg Brown. What else is there out there? I mean, do you, do you think it's going to be a reclass guy? Do you think it's a you know the the tra- transfer market is that the answer? Travis, what is the answer to close out this class and make sure that they are a title contender? I think they'll get a couple guys off the transfer market. I've, I've talked to multiple people that think that they're going to hit that really, really hard. And I haven't heard of any free class options or high school options that Kentucky leads for as of right now. They could behind the scenes, but uh, people I've talked to, they don't believe so. And Jonathan Kaminga is a guy that's been thrown around ever since the TikTok. Unless something outlandish happens, I believe he's going to LSU. Um, could go a couple other places, but I don't see him at Kentucky. Uh, Paulo, he's been adamant that he's 100% staying in 2021. You know, if you could add one player to this class, it's not <laughs> Nick Richards or Jonathan Kaminga, it's Paulo. That's the but, one, yeah. But, I mean, he's adamant that he's staying in 2021, so we're going to roll with that right now. Yeah, definitely. Uh t- David, how would you end this class? We talked about Calipari knowing something maybe that the rest of us don't know. And who knows? Maybe he thinks there's a great chance that uh, they'll open the floodgates and let everybody transfer. And if that's the case, then, you know, you can kind of pick and choose with with guys with college experience and who knows what that will end up looking like. Um, but as we said, uh, you know, it doesn't look like Greg Brown. It, it doesn't look like 2021 players reclassifying right now. Um, 
Now, I, I will say this. As far as grad transfers go, there was never a word said about Reed Travis um, in, in, until, uh, gosh, on up in May. Um, so, uh, you know, there's still time for that to happen. Um, but now with players not being on campus, um, you know, they, they, they would be, they really wouldn't be held to, to any uh, type of situations where they would have to stay at school and not say anything because they want to use workout facilities or something like that. So, um, you know, things, uh, Things could open up, and I know I'm kind of I'm I'm just got so much going through my head here. I'm trying to get all of it out that uh, those kind of I, things could happen, but I think it's kind of slowed up a little bit. What was that, Travis? A potential grad transfer option just popped up on my timeline. I just saw it too. What happened? Columbia transfer Patrick Tape just committed from Duke. D- Big man from D- committed, yeah. Yeah, it, well, I I wonder why. Did you why say he decommitted from Duke? Yeah. Yes. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, the timing is very strange. He just he just committed last week or a little over a week ago. That's very strange. Um. Yeah. At least it's it's one more option. I don't know if if he would decommit from Duke to go to Kentucky, but I don't believe so either. Yeah, but, but I mean, are they make? And I don't believe Duke would push him out to make room for somebody else. Because I, I mean, Kaminga could still go to Duke, but I don't see it. Yeah, that would that would be the nightmare scenario. That we do not want that to happen at all. Um, all right, let's let's end it here, Travis. I want uh, the 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 scheme on HBO dropped. Uh, it was yesterday, the night before, something like that. Over the last couple of days, the scheme dropped. It's a the documentary on Christian Dawkins as the, as the middleman of college basketball and kind of the the. Uh, uncovering the corruption that has been going on over the last several days. Uh, I, I know we had talked about this outside of, of this podcast and texting and, and on the phone and stuff. What were your biggest takeaways with, with that, and uh, what do you think it means for college basketball as a whole? I think that this stuff has been going on for years and years and decades and decades. That I mean, I don't really think that's anything out of the ordinary. that has been different from happening for – years on end, but I think that Bill Wade is a 1,000% sleaze ball. He's an American gangster. He doesn't <laughs> give a rat's butt about anything. And LSU came out again yesterday, I believe, and said, yeah, he's still on staff. Like, he's he's still in his normal role. Nothing's changed. So, I mean, he's protected. And then Sean Miller, Sean Miller looked bad, but he's, he doesn't look as bad as Bill Wade. The thing that's surprising to me is the FBI said themselves, we want Rick Pitino. Give us Rick Pitino. And there's nothing in that documentary that nails Rick Pitino to the wall at all. Yeah. And so I think Rick's a winner in this. And I think that Kentucky's a major winner in this, too, because there's been no mention of Kentucky in any of this investigation. And they there was a positive comment from Christian Dawkins stating that Kentucky's a player's first program and that they want their kids to go to the NBA. They don't try to hold them back and make them come back. That was my that was my biggest takeaway. You know, I was kind of sitting there going, okay, well, we haven't heard of Kentucky in any of these documents, at least in depth, you know, kind of just in passing as another one of the big blue blood programs, elite programs. And I was kind of waiting for a, 
ah, crap moment in that whole thing. Or like, oh, man, that doesn't look too good. That's a bruise or whatever. And the only time Kentucky is mentioned in the entire documentary is when Christian Dawkins says he's a guy that we didn't want to for players to go because we knew that as soon as they got there that like we would lose them if if they went to Kentucky because they're you know it's a, a revolving door of NBA talent they're going to leave for the NBA after one year and then bring in five more recruits and then potentially you know lose those five and then bring in another five he was like there's no sense in us investing our time and resources into Kentucky guys because we know that it's it's not going to be a return investment on our on our end that it was nothing but a positive after seeing that, and that was the only mention of Kentucky. So Kentucky fans should definitely feel feel good about that. Um, all right, well, it's been a fun show. We can uh, we can end it there. Uh, Travis, where can fans find your work? You can find my work on Cats Illustrated on the Rivals Network alongside David Sisk. We are do, we are currently running a sixty day free trial over there. Come join the House of Blue community. Come chop it up with all the fans and us writers and analysts. And it's a, it's a fun, uh, fun community to be a part of. And then you can find my other podcast, uh, the cat scan podcast on every podcast network. It's on Twitter at cat scan pod. And you can find me on Twitter at Trav graph underscore rivals. And David, where can fans find your work? I've got to ask this. There's no way I can let this show go without asking this. So you guys would not want Will Wade for the next coach at Kentucky. Uh, as no. much as as enticing as that sounds, no, hell no. It was yeah, it was that the stuff that we saw in that documentary, man, it was bad. And and the reason why I didn't ask you your opinion of the documentary is because you told me before the show that we didn't. But you got to get your that, that you haven't watched it, so we got to get your you got to get your hands on on that documentary. And and next week when when we oh, I kind of saw the stuff that's been said, and <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I, I, I I'm kind of intrigued by it. Dude, I'm telling you. It, the, I, we, no, what I mean is I, I would be kind of intrigued about him being the next coach of Kentucky. Oh, why? What would? Why, why would you put that on us? Well, let me ask you this. What, what about Bruce Pearl? Would, 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 would you guys be open to that? Well, of course. There's a diff- but there's a difference between a dude that has gotten under, you know, in trouble for hosting a barbecue and lying about it and then – a dude that is saying we've been making strong ass offers to Javante Smart and and I mean if you if you hear the audio, David, I'm telling you, there's no way, there's no way in the world you would you would support it. I promise you, no way. <laughs> uh, I, I uh, I'm interested. Well, you you go on and be interested, David. <laughs> Where you can- remember <laughs> this is before your time. But Saturday Night Live used to have the movie movie critic, and and he'd he'd start out and he'd say, "Okay," and he'd name his movie. He'd go interested, interested, very interested, <laughs> not interested. And, 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 and I, I, I'm 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 at the interested stage right now. Well, on, on Will Wade, so. you you go but on anyway, and be that. Where can ahead. fans find your work? <laughs> Uh, Cats Illustrated, along with uh, Travis, and uh, uh, right now doing some stories, kind of multitasking here. I guess that's why I rambled some. Kind of multitasking here, put some stories together, looking at Wisconsin, Kentucky's Final Four from 2014 right now. And um, so you can find me there and Coach David Sisk at Twitter. 
Well, all right. And you can find me on Twitter at JackPilgrimKSR. You can find me via email, jpilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. And with that, we will be back next week for another Jam Packed Sources Say podcast. We will see you then. It's just a on your feet. It's just a-